Go ahead and grab out your Bible and your notes. You can jot a few things down as we study God's word together. If you're tired of me saying that, go ahead and grab out your notes anyways. All right, everybody. Or you can pull out the Victory Church app. Got a fill in the blank version of the notes. We had some technical difficulties last week, but this week, I promise there is a fill in the blank version of the notes. For those of you who last week you were missing it, right? The spirit of God could not move unless you had those blanks to fill in. But this week, all right, you are... You are saved. We have those for you. You can fill in the blank, save it to your phone if you prefer that way. Uh, This is the final week of our series, You Asked For It. Uh, This is the final week of that. And we'll be moving on to new series. Tell you about that uh, in just a little bit. But I've been excited. I love this series. It came out of a simple question that we gave you on Easter Sunday. And we asked you if you would like to hear a sermon or a series preached on a particular topic. You want to hear what God's word has to say about that topic. What would it be? What would that topic be? And so you guys wrote in all kinds of different answers, uh, some of them serious, some of them funny, and I'll save those for another Sunday, all right, everybody? But uh, you wrote in all different things, and so we took your top answers and we formed this series out of it. So week one, we talked about, is this the end? Are we living in the end times? What does the Bible have to say about end times? Our generation, about the culture, what does it have to say? Week two, we talked about, how can I hear God's voice? If I want to hear what God is saying to me clearly, how can I hear that? What does the Bible have to say about that? Last week was what about my family, right? How do I parent these kids that God has blessed me with? Come on, somebody. How do I deal with my spouse that God has blessed me with? Come on, you. Everybody knows what that's about. And so we talked about what does the Bible have to say about godly relationships? What does the Bible have to say? Because it has a lot to say about how we interact with others in our family, in our workplace, uh, in those we come in contact with. This week, week number four, as we finish up the series, I want to do something a little bit different uh, than we've done in a series like this in the past. And that is, we are going to answer your questions about the particular topic. And I have four or five of them that you asked around this topic. But if you remember on that same card, we had another section where we asked, is there anything that we can pray with you about? And it was at the very top. It's something we take very seriously. We pray over those things. We gather with you. And I had the opportunity to pray over every prayer card that came in on Easter uh, and throughout the weeks. And we just we take that as a serious uh, honor, honestly, that we can pray with you and stand alongside of you as you pray. But what I'd like to do today is kind of cross the line between those two questions Because I think that the answer to some of your questions on the second part will help some of those who are going through things on the first. Does that make sense, everybody? So some of the questions you asked, and it was about the topic of faith. I believe the answer to those questions, because you asked it in different ways, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But I think that some of the ways that you asked it revealed maybe some of the things people are walking through uh, in the prayer portion. And so today we're kind of going to mix across uh, the line. So question number one, as we just jump into this, just right into the deep end, everybody. First question you asked is, what is faith? Just what is it? All right. I've been hearing you say this word a lot at church. I've heard it in Sunday school. I heard all these different things, but just give me a definition. What is faith? Can you describe to me what it is? And I think the answer might surprise you. It might be a little different than what you think. I think sometimes we put some of these spiritual words on pedestals and we forget to even think about what they actually are. That we kind of revere them, but we don't ever have them in our actual day-to-day life. So we're going to kind of use Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the faith chapter. And I've taught out of this before, but we're going to use verse 1 as we start. And this will be our text all throughout the day. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And we're going to get to the 
the supporting content in just a moment. But I want to just kind of focus on this word faith, first of all, uh, as we walk through the text today. Because the word faith in the Greek New Testament, it's represented by only a single word. All throughout the New Testament, it keeps, it's represented by one Greek word. And that's the word pistis. It's the word meaning faith. And the word means, it's meaning a trust with the implication that actions would follow that trust. And so faith is a trust in something with the implication that there would be actions that follow that trust. That there would be actions that actually it, it compels us to do something. And this is echoed in the book of James. Uh, it kind of echoes that. Verse 17, watch this. It says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. In other words, you can't have just a belief system. So you want to know what faith is. You can't have just a belief system and no actions attached to it. It has to actually move into your life in something that you're doing based on the trust that you have. And so he says, it goes on a little further. It's like he's in this argument with someone. And he says, someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. He's kind of saying it doesn't exist, right? That's not really a thing. Show it to me because I don't think you even could have it. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And so the argument the scripture is making is faith has to translate from a belief system it has to come from this higher knowledge that we have, this belief that we claim to say that we have. And it has to translate itself into actual actions that we are taking. It has to impact how we live in daily life. And this is something so close to my own heart because I'm a pragmatist. I, I like practicality. I like to apply the things that we learn. And let me just tell you, faith is not faith until you've applied it to your daily life. Until it's affecting the things that you do. Because until it does, it's just a belief system that you kind of pay lift service to. Until it actually gets inside of your heart and you actually affects your actions. Well, if you look at the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture, you find there is an actually different life God has called us to live. So there, is, there are things that we should be doing. Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter 10. The life that you and I embrace, the life that we should be living is different than the world. The kingdom of heaven operates on different principles. The way we're supposed to be living is different than the rest of the world. So Mark chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and they've kind of acted like the world in the preceding verses. The things they've asked, the way that they've acted, the pride they've shown, the questions they ask him reveal hearts that are still a little bit attached to the world. So here's his kind of rebuke and teaching all in one. I love when Jesus does this because he's a whole lot nicer than I am. All right, everybody. But Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. He says, you know that in the world, those who are considered great, who enjoy power, they enjoy leveraging influence. They enjoy being people in charge. They enjoy being the boss. They enjoy right, being the assistant to the regional manager. Come on, somebody. They, they like those things. They, they enjoy what that does for them. That's what the world is like. He says they lord it over them. And so they says they, they like the influence it gives them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so... With you. Now, this ought to be the phrase of your house. If we want to go back to last week, how should we have a godly household? This should be a phrase you say all the time around your house. All right, everybody? Not so with you. I don't care if everybody else is going there. I don't care if everybody else gets to watch that. I don't care if everybody else has that brand of tennis shoe. I don't care if everybody else plays 85 different sports. I don't care what they watch or listen. I don't care. That's not what we're going to do. That's not what we're going to have. So not so with you. Doesn't mean what they're all doing should be what we do. 
Doesn't mean what they're all running after and enjoy should be what we not so with you. You all remember, right, when your, your parents would say, right, if, if everybody jumped off the bridge, would you also jump off the bridge? The problem with that in my house is I was usually the one doing the jumping off of the bridge, trying to get everybody else to also come with me, right? So that's just, that's not the point. Not so with you. Not so, well, you shouldn't do those things. And that's the argument there. Where was I in my notes? Come on, somebody. Jesus says, though, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be the servant. So you want to be great in the kingdom of God. He's saying it's completely different than what the world looks at it, what the world calls success, what the world thinks influence and power is supposed to be about. He says you want to be great in the kingdom of God. You be the servant of all. You want to actually, you want to find success in the kingdom of God. You want to know the principles to base your life on. You be the slave of all. It's counterintuitive to what the world, and all throughout Scripture, you'll find this, that leadership is different, that financial prosperity is different, that peace is different, that financial success, all these things that we run after in the world, it's different in the kingdom of God. It means something different. That finding fulfillment in life is different. That having peace in your home is different. That freedom is different. All these things, this life we're called to live is different than the world lives. It's different than what the world thinks is important. Because the world will tell you, you got one life to live. So do what feels good to you in the moment. Do what feels good, what you can build and amass and do. But the kingdom of God says, give that life away. Serve others. You want to find fulfillment in the kingdom. Spend your life lifting and elevating others. And that's where you'll find the kingdom of God. That's where you'll find actual truth. So our lives have to look different. Faith can't just be lip service to an ideology. Faith has to move from ideology to methodology. So the principles of God's word are counterintuitive. They're backwards from the way that the world thinks. And so a life of faith is a life that says, I not only believe that God exists, I'm going to take a step further and I'm going to do what he says. Faith and action, it takes trust and it takes action. It's, it's taking that step. That's what faith is. I'm going to take a step further and I'm going to place now what I believe in into action in my life. I'm going to place what I believe. And it says, the Bible prophesied that that wouldn't always be the case. Second Timothy He says, there'll be terrible times in the last days. We talked about that in week one. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud. It continues through this list of the different sins we would see in the culture and the generation of the last days. And he ends the list with lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but they'll deny its power. In other words, they'll say some spiritual things. They'll do some spiritual things. They'll they'll have that form, that outward look of it. But they won't allow it to actually change their lifestyle or their perspective. There's no power there. There's just stuff that they did under their own power. There's just stuff that they were able to kind of tweak and change to look godly, but not actually have the actions of the power of God. There's some things. He talks about that. And I believe we're living in a generation just like it prophesied here. Because it says that 94% of America says they believe in a higher power. 94% say they believe in some higher. Over 60% say they believe in the God of the Bible. But only 7% say it's actually changing their day-to-day life. That it actually affects their decisions. That's a tragedy. It's it's insanity, but it's also a tragedy. All right, everybody? Because they believe in a higher power, but only 7% say that they would actually allow it to affect their day-to-day decisions. That's not faith, everybody. That's just some kind of belief we can say with our mouth and actually never makes its way to our actions. It's not trust that's producing actions in our life. Because the biblical definition is not just some ideology. It affects our methodology. And just jot that down if you're taking notes. Faith isn't faith until it moves from ideology to method. Until it affects the way that we're acting. It's not really faith. 
Until the things that we say are actually working their way out and we're showing it by the way that we act, it's not really faith. If you're raising your kids like the world, you're spending your money like the world, you're spending your time like the world, watching what the world watches, listening to what the world listens to, you're going to get the results that the world has because it's not biblical faith. It's not actually working its way out. God's called us to live a life of faith. And so to answer the question, the first one we're going to walk through today, what is faith? Jot it down if you're taking notes. Faith is trust that produces actions. It's trust that produces. I believe God, we have to come to a point where we say, I believe in God. We come to a place where we say, I I believe in who he says he is. And I'm going to actually allow it to affect and deal with my day-to-day life is when we have biblical faith. Another question, great question that came in multiple times actually, is then why is it so easy to put faith in everything but God? Come on, somebody. We're going to have a show of hands. Who asked that question? <laughs> we don't do that in this series, all right, everybody? Another series maybe. But why is it so easy to put our faith in everything but God. Now, if it's trust that producing, it produces action, then I would make the argument that all of us have faith in something. If it's trust and then it produces action in our life, all of us, by the actions that we take, show that we have faith in something. All of us have faith everywhere. And most of the time, it's so easy to put it in everything but God. I understand that. I, I agree with these people who ask the question. It is easier sometimes to put it in all these other things. Well, if you go back to our text to answer the question, Hebrews chapter 11... It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, this last little phrase here, of things not seen. Well, by definition, that makes us a little uncomfortable, all right? Let's be truthful in church today with each other. This idea that it's the evidence now of things unseen, the things we cannot see, by definition, that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Because we are comfortable with things that we can touch and feel and see. We, we get very comfortable with things that we can, we can verify with our own senses, that we can kind of touch and feel. We like those kinds of things. And so it's very difficult sometimes to resist the temptation that we have, even as Christ followers, to resist this temptation to put our trust in the things that we can't see. And honestly, there's a danger, even on this journey of faith, it's easy for us to put our faith in the blessing instead of the blesser. So a lot of times early on in faith, or maybe people who are new to the faith, a lot of times this idea comes up about putting our faith in God or not. Oftentimes people who have maybe walked a little further on the journey of faith, we fall into this trap. We begin to place our faith in the blessings that God has given us. God brings us through a situation or he brings us through a different season or he brings us through and he answers some prayers. And there's some things that he sends us. You watch the children of Israel. They did this all the time. God would send something to answer a prayer or to bring them out of the captivity or to set them free from bondage. He would send something to do the work and they would turn around and worship the blessing instead of the God who blessed and oftentimes we see this arise in our own lives that we, we begin to receive the blessings of God, walk in faith, maybe a little bit, and God answers a prayer. And then we turn around and we worship that thing. We put our faith in it because it's something that we can see. I think it's honestly, it's a little bit difficult for us because it is the evidence of things unseen. So it starts to get a little difficult because sometimes God is a little hard to understand. We understand the blessing and it makes perfect sense to us. We all like to be blessed. But sometimes God himself is a little hard for us to understand. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But I'm actually encouraged by that because I need a God that I can't completely understand in my own mind. Because if he could fit into my own mind, I could understand him. He wouldn't be big enough to worship. You understand that, everybody? Because if there was a God that I could just fit into my own little brain, he'd be as big as I am. And I promise you, you do not want a God who is the same size as I am. 
You don't want a God that's the same understanding and the same perspective that I am. Because I am as flawed as anybody else, everybody. And every single one of you, I don't care what you tell me different. I know the same thing about every single one of you. That we don't want a God that fits into our own little brain. Because he needs to be big enough to worship. I need him to be bigger than me. I, I need him to have a different vantage point and a different perspective than I have. That's the God that I want to worship. But it's hard for us because so many fall into the trap, myself included sometime, where we begin to worship or we honestly begin to put more faith and more trust in the things we can see than the unseen. That's not what faith is. Faith is the evidence of the things that are unseen. Isaiah 44 talks about this. And I love this description because honestly, it kind of just belts me upside the head every time I read through this chapter. But it's it's an interesting story Isaiah talks about. He says this guy has a piece of wood uh, and he takes part of it and he makes a meal. So he takes a part of this piece of wood and he burns it for fire and he cooks his meal over it and he makes it keeps him warm. But then he takes what's left of that piece of wood. So remember, he's already cooked the fire, he's eaten the food, he's made it out of this half. But then he takes what's left of the piece of wood and he makes his God a carved idol. He carves, he whittles this thing into an idol and he falls down in front of it. Same piece of wood, he took this half and he burned it right for food and fuel and heat. And then he takes the other half of the idol, he falls down in front of it, worshipping it, praying, saying, Rescue me, he says, for you are my God. And your reaction to this is probably like scripture, right? It's a little ridiculous, right? You begin to say, your reaction would probably be like it says in the next verse, such stupidity and ignorance. Come on, how many of you have been thinking that? As you read this verse, you begin to think such stupidity and ignorance. And here's the reason why it slaps me upside the face. Because up until this point, almost every time I read this, I think such stupidity and ignorance. There's no way. We would never bow down to a log that we had whittled and carved. Like that would never be... You can maybe see where I'm going. Come, Some of you have seen the train coming, right? You understand where this, this is going. He's, it's such stupidity, but so often we as Christians, we place our trust and we put our lives and we bow down to things that are so temporal. So many times we can laugh at this guy all we want, but so often we place our trust. We put all of our faith, all of our eggs in the basket of things we can see. The temporal. The things that aren't going to last all that long anyway. And we say, well, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. But honestly, it's what we do. He says their eyes are closed. They can't see. You say, well, why why would he be so arrogant and so stupid? Why would he be so ignorant? He says their eyes are closed. They can't see. Their minds are shut. They can't think. And the guy who made the idol never stops to reflect why it's just a block of wood. How can the rest of it be a God? Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? And it seems so ridiculous, but so oftentimes we put our faith in the temple. We, we never stop to think, should I really be putting all of my trust? Should I really be believing in putting all of my faith in a car? Should I really be believing and working my whole life? Should I really be trading all of my time and all of my life for a, a pension and a 401k? Should I really, is that where I should put all of my trust? And so oftentimes it's easier for us to put our trust in the things that we can see. And we will trade our lives, we'll trade our hopes, we'll trade all of our future, we'll trade everything for these things that honestly can't help us at all. We'll trade all of our, our, our faith, we'll trade all of our hope, we'll put it in things that honestly can't do anything really for us. That honestly are just temporal, they're, they're fleeting, they're pleasures that maybe last for a few moments, but in the light of eternity they can't do anything for us and yet we'll put our trust in them. 
And we never take a step back and think, should I really bow down to a car? Should I really bow down to a house? Should I really trade my life? Is it really all about a 401k? Is it really all about my investment plan? Is that really what this life is all about? And we never take a step back and ask ourselves, the man, it says, who makes this idol, he never stops to think it's really only a block of wood. I don't know what that block represents in your life today, but I promise you every single one of us has one. I don't know what it is. It's probably what popped into your head when we were talking about this right now, right? Whatever that thing is. It's probably the thing that you're thinking about right now. But the man never takes a step back and thinks, should I really put all of my trust in this? It's just a block of wood. Is that really what I'm living my life for? And watch how it finishes. And it says, says, the poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. That ought to be your bumper sticker, all right, everybody? You ought to put that on your fridge for a week. That stare back from your bathroom mirror. Come on. They say he feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Let that not be us. Church, let that not be us. The truth, though, is it's easy for us to trust in things that we can see because it feels safe. It feels comfortable. It feels predictable. And if we just take a step back, we realize that we're trusting things that really can't help us at all. We're putting trust in things that are very, very temporal. That's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, right? So that is the tendency. That's why we ask the question for this series. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, But what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary. What is seen is passing away. What is seen is on its way out of here, everybody. And I promise you will not be able to take it into eternity. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, that's God. That's what actually matters. That's eternity. What is unseen will actually last forever. And so you take your pick this morning. What would you rather place your trust in? It's something that is seen and is temporal and is passing away or something that is unseen and that is eternal. So the reason why we wrestle with this is because faith is trusting something that is unseen. The reason why it's easy. The answer to that question is because faith is trusting something unseen. At the end of the day, it's just difficult to take that step of faith. But it's a challenge because he's unseen. And so that leads us to our next question. Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Now, you probably ask, why would somebody ask a question that kind of sounds very spiritual and very out? It comes from a verse. All right, everybody, that's where they got this question from. And so we're going to read the verse and then talk a little bit about it. So verse six, right in Hebrews, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so that's where they get this question from. Because people hear the verse and they think, well, why, why can't I please him some other way? Why can't I do something else that maybe I understand a little bit more? But I just want to kind of walk you through it to show you it's not something that's hard to understand. It's something usually that's hard to do. A lot of times the deep parts of Christianity are not hard to understand. They're hard to do. Amen, everybody? All right. It's just it's a little bit hard to put that into practice. And you say, well, why? Why do I need faith? And the question is answered. It says, because anyone who comes to him. Watch this, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Two parts to this. Because here's the deal. You cannot please God without faith because you cannot have a relationship with God without faith. Because God is unseen. So faith is a relationship word. So because you need to please God, you have to be in relationship with him. Faith is a relational word. If you're going to have a relationship with God, you have to have faith because you can't see him. You can't always hear him. You can't touch him. You can't always feel him. And so a lot of times it's hard to have that relationship with him and it's impossible to have that relationship without faith. 
Because relationship with God is what pleases God. We were created for His pleasure. He created us to be in relationship with Him, created to have intimacy with God. And it's honestly why we were created the way that we are. All of us have that longing inside of us. All of us were created with a space that only God can fill inside of us. It's why we were searching until we found the actual answer. It's why, why that searching is put on the inside of us. It's why eternity is on the hearts of men. It's so we would seek for Him, that we would be in relationship with Him. And in order to believe that, you have to have faith. You have to believe that He exists. If we want to please Him, we have to be in relationship with Him. And if we're going to be in relationship, we have to believe that He not only exists, so that's the first part, that requires faith. But then the second part that requires faith, not only that He exists, but that He also rewards those who seek for Him. And so if you're going to actually have this faith that pleases God, you're going to have a relationship that pleases God, you have to not only believe He exists, but you also have to fight against the lie that religion and the devil will try to tell you that even if you looked for Him, God is just waiting to judge you, and He's just mad at you, and God just can't wait for you to seek Him so He can just smash you flat. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, you have to have faith to believe that if I take that step, I actually look for God, that He's a rewarder of those who actually seek Him. And that takes faith to believe. It takes faith to fight against the lie because honestly, the picture of God that's been in culture and the picture of God, sadly, that's been preached out of several churches has been this idea that even if you looked for him, he would just be mad at you. That even if you took that step, that's not what the verse teaches. It says that we have to have faith to be in relationship, but that God earnestly, he, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That he has a reward, he has good plans. And so it's impossible to please God without faith because it's impossible to be in relationship because faith is required for relationship. Because faith is simply what? We learned our definition, it's trust. Faith is simply trust and trust is a relationship word. That you trust God enough not only to say, I believe in him, but you trust God enough to believe that he is good and has good plans for your life. That you would seek him knowing and trusting that he has a plan for you. It takes faith to believe that, that he wants the best for us. And so I have to get to a place where I, I want to please God. I want to have a relationship that pleases him. So I have to believe not only he exists, but that he has good plans for my life. And so another great question is we continue to kind of build this faith today. So we're kind of taking steps together uh, as we move through this idea of faith. But another great question that came in, and honestly, this one kind of resonated with me too. So we're... We're building faith, right? It's producing actions in our life. We're, we want to step into that. We're saying, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I love all of this. I'm ready. I want to take that leap of faith because I want a relationship with God. I want to please him. And a lot of us are at that plateau, but then we're asking this question then, that's great. I want to have it, but then how do I build my faith? Like I have more faith than I've got right now. Like I just, I'm looking at my pile of faith and I just, I need more of it. So how do I build my faith? And we're asking, so I'm good with all of that, Pastor, but then tell me, how do I have more faith? How do I build it? Just give me, you know, a bucket of faith I can take home with me today. And we have free gifts for you. And I'm kidding with you, everybody, right in the four. You say, well, how do I build it? Well, back to our text, Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So faith is the substance. It's the substance of things hoped for. So I believe faith is a spiritual muscle. Faith is a spiritual muscle. It's something that requires exercise. It's something that requires you to actually work out. It's something that you grow from day to day. Because I promise you, if you get, right, if you get like a gym membership, any of you who started this year off right, come on, you started January, you bought that gym membership to La Fitness or Planet Fitness or whatever it is, you know, you go to, you got that, that thing going. I promise you, you can't get into the gym and get on the treadmill 
for five minutes and be like, bam, 20 years of fitness, done. Like, I just did it. Like, I was there. I got on that treadmill one time, and it's done. Like, it's just, I'm in shape. It's just amazing. I promise that's not how it works. And those of you who have put in the time and the effort, you are just laughing silently because you don't want to laugh out loud. You are just like, because that's not how it works. You have to continually exercise and work out. You have to continually exercise different muscle groups and do different exercise, aerobic and anaerobic. You got to, you got to do all these different things if you want to see any progress being made. Well, the same thing is true with faith. Faith isn't, I prayed one prayer one time 50 years ago, and that's a life of faith. Come on, everybody. I got, I got all the faith. That's all I needed. I just prayed. No, faith is in the day-to-day. It's the substance of things hoped for. Faith is every day following what God has asked us to do. It's every day that action that's produced by the trust that we claim to have with our mouths. Right, Our mouth are writing checks that our actions have to pass. We have, to, we have to be able to say, okay, I, I know that I, I believe it, but now it's working itself out. And so the day-to-day actions is the substance of the things that we hope for. You understand that? Faith is the substance. The actions that you're taking are the physical, tangible evidence of the faith that you proclaim to have. It's the hope that we have. Our actions are the substance of that. It's where you find, you go to scripture, you find all types of promises of what your life should look like. Of what a life of faith should look like. You find hope and you find true freedom and you find true prosperity in the kingdom of God. And you actually find peace for your family. You see all these things, these these hopes that we have. And then our faith in the day to day is what we're working out towards that target. It's what we're working out towards that hope. Then we're following God that you should have a victory, that you should have freedom, that you should have this life in Christ. It's freely given to us. So if we're going to live a life of faith, we have to have a life of vision. We have to have a life that says, because faith can't be activated without a target. It's the substance of things that are hoped for. You've got to have some things that you are hoping for. And honestly, Scripture is full of them. Some things that you're waiting for. Some things that you're setting your eyes on. That you say, okay, that's a promise to me. That's what my faith is going to be now to walk out. I'm going to believe not only does God exist, but He actually has good promises for me. And my faith walking out, that's the trust. The trust, this is the tangible substance of what it is that we're hoping for. And it takes steps of faith to see it grow. We had an opportunity this week uh, to send a special love offering down to the church we support in Cuba. Uh, in Havana, Cuba. And so this church is beautiful work that God is doing on the north side of Havana that we've had a chance just to link up with uh, and just to have this, this connection with this church. It's called Nueva Vida. It's on the north side of Havana called Cojimar, this little place on the coast. And we've taken teams down there all throughout the years. And the last one we took, we got to see it's a beautiful church building that's built hundreds of people who are worshiping. Nothing like it in the world, everybody. And they got four church plants all around the city. And we got to visit those and just see the work that God is doing. It's just an opportunity. It's an honor to be able uh, just to link up with them and to support them. But if I can tell you, seven years ago, when we took the first team down there, we were standing where that church is built now. And it was just the backyard of this pastor. And there was a big tree out in the middle of the backyard just talking to Pastor Lyon. And just talking with him a little bit about what he was, he was feeling God telling him and what it was happening. Just, just talking with him. Let me tell you what didn't happen in his life. It wasn't like God looked at him and was like, well, Pastor Lyon, tomorrow you're going to wake up and there's going to be a massive church and hundreds of people and four different church plants and good luck. Just go on, just go ahead. And just, that's, what, that's not what happened. What happened was is he started under that tree with no help at all having a Bible study for the people in his community. 
That he knew God called him to reach the people right around where he was. And so he started reaching the people right around where he was. He didn't wait for the next morning to wake up and have this beautiful building. He said, I believe what God has called me to, but I'm going to take a step of faith and start doing what I can do right now. I'm going to start ministering to people I can, I can minister to right now. Because he's faithful in little will be faithful in much. God is watching what you do with the little. God is watching how you take care of what he sent you already. To see if he's going to bless you with anything further. Why would God give the big church and the four plants and all those things over and say good luck to you if he wasn't faithful in the little? If he wasn't faithful in reaching out, okay God, what have you sent me today? And then the next step, they got a little bit of tin so they could meet when the sun was even hot. They could meet underneath and have a little bit of shade. And continue to minister, continue to walk out in faith what God was doing through his ministry. And then the next step, they had to dig some bathrooms. Come on, somebody, so more people could come. Come on. Everybody, everybody takes care of the spiritual. Everybody forgets the bathrooms. Everybody forgets how important that is to the thing, right? So they just steps of faith. They didn't come overnight, but taking steps of faith, the substance of the hope that we have is the day-to-day faith that we're living out. The obedience, the trust that's producing action in our life, being willing to do that. That we have a target that we're hoping for as we walk this journey of faith. And so the answer to that question, faith is built, jot it down if you're taking notes, through practice. Our faith, you want to know how do I build it? How do I get more? It's built through practice. We have a target we're hoping for and we continue to believe, continue to see God move. Continue to see him answer us in the little things. And and faith is built as we walk this life of trust. As we walk this life of action to build a life of faith. And the last question is probably the most challenging one that we're going to do today. It's probably the one that most of you have wrestled with ever since we started this message today. And because you're probably asking the question, you probably a lot of you are like, well, that's great, Pastor. I'm with you, right? That's, that sounds fantastic. I'm ready to go out and live a life of faith. I'm ready to jump right in. I'm ready to see God move in incredible ways. I'm ready to to see him open up opportunities. I'm ready for his blessings to come to pass. I'm ready for all of those things. I'm I'm with you all the way. But what happens when tragedy strikes? What happens when, how do we maintain our faith when it feels like it doesn't work? How do I maintain a life of faith? What do you do when you feel like you heard from God, but yet it doesn't work out the way that you thought it should? Or when you pray for somebody and they don't get better, what happens when your marriage falls apart? What happens when you bury a loved one? What happens in the midst of those times? What happens when it feels like God's not doing his part? What do you, what do you deal with that? How do you keep your faith in the middle of adversity or in the middle of tragedy? And I would start this and I just... Stay with me to the end. And it's a little harsh, but I would start this in the book of John. Just as an answer. And and we've talked about this last year in a few different places. But this morning, I would just, in the answer to this question, I would start in the book of John in verse 10 of chapter 10, where Jesus says there is a thief and there is an enemy in this world. And his only aim, his only goal is to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's all he's here for. That's all he's trying to do. And so he says he's here to try. And none of us are immune from some of the tragedies and things that are brought into this world. The Bible says tragedy visits us all. That this life that we're living, that we do live in a broken world. You remember even early in Jesus' ministry, before he goes into ministry, the devil comes and tempts him three times. And one of the temptations that he brings him, one of the things that he, he says to him is, I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world. And I'll give you all of the people of the world, all the dominion that you want in this world. I'll give you it all. He's basically saying, I'll give you your destiny without the cross. I'll give you all of these things right now. And Jesus didn't contest his ability to give it. Because the Bible's even clear in 2 Corinthians. It talks about how the little g, God of this world, the devil, 
How he blinds the minds of those that they cannot see. How he's working behind the scenes in sin and creating chaos and bringing all of these things. And none of us are immune to that. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is shattered by the thing because God gave dominion over to Adam in the garden and then Adam ate the fruit and gave dominion back over. And so we live in a world that is broken. And anybody who shies away from that, honestly, is just trying to sell you something. Anybody who tries to give you what you want to hear, we live in a broken world. And you talk about, the Bible says, tragedy comes to us all. You look in examples in the New Testament and the Old, you look at the life of Job. We lived a life that honored God, followed the principles of God's word. He lived a life that, and then, but all of his children died and all of his companies went bankrupt. He didn't deserve that. So what do we do in that situation? What do we do in the midst of that? How do you reconcile that with an all-loving God? It's because we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world full of pain. We live in a world of sickness full of problems. But the comfort that we have, the promise that we have, the blessing that we have doesn't rest in the world that is broken. The promise that we've been given, the the blessings and the, the promise of God's word isn't coming from the world that is broken and the world that is in tragedy, the world that is in chaos. Doesn't come from anything that the little G, the God of this world, the devil, is nothing that he can even touch. The promise that we've been given is untouchable by his hands, untouchable by anybody that tries to come attack us. It's untouchable by any circumstance. The promise that we've been given is found in Christ. And it says he has given us life and not only life, but life to the fullest. That he has given us a promise in him that we can live out this life that he has given us. Life to the fullest. Romans chapter 8 says, if you're walking through this adversity, Romans chapter 8 reminds us of the promise that we have been given, that I know that in all things God is working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That is the promise that we've had that is untouched by any circumstance that can come against us. That God is working out things. Look, I can't, I can't pretend to know everything. I know there are people who can, and God bless them, let them go on their way. I can't pretend to know every answer. I can't pretend, I can't make up some answer to let you know why you had to walk through a tragedy, or why you had to walk through the pain that you had to go through, or why you had to experience that thing that you experienced in your life. But here's what I know, God is working together for the good. And if it's not good, then God's not finished, because He's still working things out in this world and in your life, and He still has a plan for you. Amen, everybody? He's still calling. And if it's not good, then God's not finished yet. He's not finished with what he's working out that God has called us to. And we have to have faith to believe not only does he exist, but he has good plans for my life. That we have to walk in the midst of that. And sometimes when we maintain and we face the loss or a tragedy, we can't see the good that God is working out. We can't understand how could he possibly redeem this situation. How could he possibly redeem? And I don't understand how he could or that circumstance. It's why God is so much bigger than us that it's important he has a different vantage and a different perspective. But we're called to trust. We're called to have that faith in him. Listen to me, everybody. You're not called to understand it all, but you are called to trust. We're not called to understand everything, but we are called to trust. And it may be one of the hardest things you ever hear preached, but we are called to trust even in the midst of it. It's what we're called to do because we don't have the vantage point. We don't have the perspective. What do we do in the meantime? What do we do when everything seems like it's falling apart? What do we do when do we stop praying for people? Do we stop believing in God? Do we stop believing God for our marriage or for our kids? Do we just stop believing for miracles? And no, no, it says that we fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says we fix our eyes on him. So in the midst of these things, you say, well, what do I do in the midst of tragedy? How do I keep my faith in the midst of adversity? 
Bible talks about that. It's not that we just kind of paint on a happy face and let everything inside kind of fall apart. That's not what we're called to do. It's not what we're called to be. That's not the trust that we're called to have. It says we fix our eyes on Jesus. I don't fixate on the problem. I I don't focus on the circumstance or the situation. That's not where I put my eyes and never move. I I don't don't fixate on those things. I fix my eyes on Jesus. Why? You say, "Why, why should we do that? Not only because he's the one who gave us our faith. The author. So you say, well, how do I keep faith in adversity? You fix your eyes on not only the author, the creator of our faith, the one who gave it to us. But you fix your eyes on the one who even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of pain, he's the one who's perfecting our faith. You say, well, what should my step be? I can't, I can't even focus on anything. I'm just in the middle of a pain, in the middle of an adversity. What should I? You fix your eyes on Jesus. You don't fix your eyes on something of the world. You don't fix your eyes on some vain hope that might come out of what the world says fulfillment is. You don't fix your eyes on anything else. You fix them on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That even in the midst of it, he's perfecting it. We focus on him. So as we close today, you can jot it down and put your notes aside. Faith isn't understanding, it's trusting. Faith isn't understanding. God didn't call you to figure everything out. You want to live a life of faith. You want to hold on to your faith in the midst of chaos, in the midst of adversity. When it feels like God is a million miles away, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because if it's not good, then God's not finished and he still has a plan for your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. As we close in prayer, I just want to pray that God would help us to live a life of faith. That God would help us to hold on to our faith, even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of pain. That he would help us to take that step to say we not only believe that he exists, but we trust him enough to make it work itself out in action. But first, before we pray over that, I just want to pray with those of you who have never placed your faith in him. I want to pray with those of you who maybe have never taken that step to even say, I believe that God exists and I want him to affect the way that I'm living my life. If you say, that's me today, I came in today, I I just, I've never taken that step. It'd be my honor to help you take it. But I would ask you this question with every head bowed. No one else is looking at I would ask you the question, do you really trust him? Do you really put your trust in him? Is it really affecting your day-to-day life? Is it really affecting your actions? Is it true faith in God? Is it a trust that says, I believe that he exists, but is it action accompanied with him? And some of you, you're far from God today because you walk through a pain or adversity. You feel like you have a good reason that you walk through that thing or that experience. And you feel like even at the end of that, that even if you were to look for God, that he just wanted to judge you. That even if he were to exist, that he wouldn't love you. But I want you to hear today, he does. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he wants you. I don't care if everybody else in this world has told you they don't want you. If everybody else has hurt you. I don't care what everybody else has told you. I want you to know that God loves you and he wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And I promise you, whatever the circumstance, whatever the thing, whatever the situation was, that it could be turned for the good. But it starts with a step of faith. That he's waiting for you. That he has a plan for your life. That he wants to redeem you. Just starts with a step of faith. It'd be my honor to help you take that step today. 
And all the church, we would pray that prayer with you, but you have to say it and you have to mean it. So if you say, that's me today, I want to take that step of faith. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not in this to embarrass you. There are other times for your faith to go public. Right now is between you and God that you make this decision. It's a prayer of surrender. So every head bowed, if you're watching online or you're in the room today, you say, I want to make that decision. I just want to pray with you right now. But you have to pray it and you have to mean it in your heart. Come on, church, let's pray with them. Nobody prays alone. Say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I repent. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, if you prayed that prayer today, if you made that decision today, best decision you'll ever make in your life. Best decision you'll ever make. And I promise you, all of heaven is rejoicing with you if you made that decision. If you called on the name of Jesus, you are saved. And we would love as a church to walk with you in your next steps that you would take. We have a team member waiting before you leave today. It's a little area of the foyer called Next Steps. We would love to meet with you. Don't leave today. If you made that decision, don't leave today without talking with one of our staff about what those next steps could be. If you're watching online and you feel more comfortable, we have a word on the screen. You can text SAVE to 66599. We have a video we shot just to let you know your next steps. We would love for that to be what we can walk along with you. As you take your journey in faith, I would love to talk over that with you. All the rest of you, come on, let's bow our heads one more time. I just want to pray a blessing over us as we go. God, I pray right now, help us with our faith. Lord, help us in our steps that we take. God, even this week, help us to grow and to build our faith. God, help us to take it and turn it from ideology to action. Help us to take it from head knowledge to actions that we work out, God, that we would actually live out the lives that you've called us to. We thank you, God, that you would help us to have a brand new fellowship, God, a brand new perspective, God, a brand new life that we would begin to live out this trust. This trust we placed in you. God, we thank you as we keep our eyes fixed on you. Jesus, as we keep our eyes fixed on you, that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, that you would help us to walk it out in every situation. God, I pray for those who are facing pain and adversity right now, who are walking through a situation. God, I pray for those who are walking through, God, a tragedy or through an act. God, I pray for those right now. That you would bring your comfort. That you would bring your strength. And God, that you would bring a faith that we can rest our lives on. A trust that we can base and build our families on. Build our marriages on. Build, God, our relationships on. We thank you for that faith that we have. For that trust that's constantly producing actions. And God, give us the strength this week to live out the life you've called us to. God, that we rest our faith on the fact that if it's not good, then you're not finished. And we believe you have plans for our life. We believe, God, that you have a purpose on this earth. You have a kingdom that you are building. And we thank you again that we can be a part of it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. We love you with all of our hearts. And all of God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we celebrate what God has done today?